Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is uh, great to meet you because this is how we meet each other through Zoom. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about? Awesome. Um, I have run two companies currently. One is called Clickmakers.io. We are a um, digital media buying agency. Um, we are a Google Premier partner. Uh, there's a bit of a story leading to it. And the second company is called Measurebit.com. We are a data integration machine learning group, and we put together Humpty Dumpty and stitch together Frankenstein monsters that most marketing stacks are these days. <laughs> Which put a nice, nice uh, front-end UI onto it, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to, to to give you a bit of a background, how I got where I am today, um, I'm, I'm an engineer and physicist by background. Um, I got married very early. We had children, um, and I couldn't stay in academia, so decided to find employment that would pay more in the private sector. So mm -hmm. I ended up working with an ERP consulting firm. So back in the 90s, ERP was the thing. Yeah. So oh, I remember that. I remember late, that. There you go. So in my late 20s, I ended up, um, I was a CTO of a consulting firm that worked with Fortune 100 brands like McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, Siemens, Colgate. Uh, those were clients. Then um, I moved to Toronto and got a job as a project manager at a software consulting firm and we dealt with a lot of different companies, like large food service organizations with hundreds of locations coast to coast. And we would deal with big data before there was a name for it. Data warehousing wasn't in its infancy. And mm -hmm. we built, you know, racks of servers and we would hack into the like, cash register protocols to get the data, like because the company that made this cash register went out of business as part of the dot-com meltdown. So there was no documentation or anything, but the client needed access to this data. So we did a lot of really interesting work. Um, and um, eventually, but essentially the whole team was a bunch of engineers mm -hmm. and someone needed to do sales and marketing. So everyone like pointed the finger at me and, you know, why don't, don't you do it? <laughs> I'm like, was it because you could right, communicate uh, better than everybody else? I think that's the, a lot of times I that's the key. Yes. Right? Yeah. I was the least technical of everyone on that team. So like, you know, once you, you know, you seem to be good at that project management thing, like sales yeah. seems to be similar in marketing, you know, <laughs> once you go figure this out. So yeah, that's, that's the opposite of what happened to me at a startup once. I was like, I was the most really? technical member on the team. And they said, okay, you go build it. And I'm like, <laughs> there you go. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, co I hadn't coded in like 10, 15 years by that point. And they're like, okay, well, neither of us is technical, but you're technical. So go build it. I'm like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. So um, I started learning about all this marketing stuff. And I'm like, this is interesting. Like, it's way more uh, systematic. 
um, and way more scientific than I imagined. And it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. So I took a deep dive into that, ended up quitting my job and uh, hung a shingle as a marketing consultant. Nice. Uh, struggled with getting clients for a while, but eventually ended up working with some interesting companies, a Silicon Valley startup called Stackstorm, a company Toronto called Aldi Apricot, another Toronto-based uh, a consulting firm called iMason. And every time that I would help them grow, I would be freelancing as a consultant, right? So I would not be an employee. Uh, so every time I would help them grow and then would get acquired, everyone gets a big bonus and I get fired. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> it was the like circle a, of life, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so I realized I either need to be a part of the team or if I am determined to maintain some level of distance from my clients, I will need to become an agency and have some people around me and have a bunch of these clients go through a program at the same time. So that right. when one leaves, it doesn't doesn't become that much of an event, right? Yeah. So that's essentially what I did. And uh, we started an agency. The, the team started to grow around me. In three years, we became a Google Premium Partner, which puts us um, in the top 3% of US agencies. Fantastic. So, Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And two years ago, we launched, we spun off a data group called MeasureBit. I took a business partner who's a CTO now and super smart. We have a couple of guys with degrees in machine learning and uh, other data experts. And um, we do a lot of data work now. And and that grew out of my need as a media buying agency like to understand the data side of things because media buying has become so, um, so heavily reliant on good data that I just could not not understand it anymore. So I started hiring developers and training them. And and then, you know, when my business partner and I, like we were in the same mastermind group and we realized that we were working on pretty much the exact same thing. We started sharing code and uh, showing up to each other's uh, prospect meetings and, you know, help each other pitch what we did. And eventually there was some revenue. We're like, gee, this looks like a business, you know, maybe we should start Mm -hmm. a company together. So that's what happened. Nice. So, yeah. so you do, so you do programmatic media buying, or what, what, what kind of media buying do you do right now? Most of the time is Google. Um, yeah, we do some programmatic. Uh, we work across a number of channels, but yeah, mostly mostly Google. But we also work with larger media buying organizations, helping them activate new channels. So these days we do a lot of YouTube ads work. Um, but yeah, we've help companies activate things like Twitter ads or Reddit or LinkedIn or Pinterest, you know, something that most teams don't have a dedicated person to run on. So if you get down to, so let's talk a little bit about the transition from when you started to today, what, what would you say is like some major changes that have occurred in your space? Oh gosh, there's so many. <laughs> What's the not, like number one change. or two changes that you think affected uh, your business? The biggest thing that is we're going through right now, obviously, generative AI, and yeah. that would be too obvious to go and you know, to walk into this door. So this door is open, and anyone can walk into it and talk for hours about this stuff. But that maybe I'll pick a topic that no one seems to 
understand uh, very well. And that is that uh, the nature of media buying has changed a lot in the last, let's say, year and a half, two years, that everything's going multi-channel. Mm. And that changes things dramatically because we use the last entry math, like we use, uh, we, we, we apply direct response world math arithmetic to multi-channel environment. And when I say multi-channel, it means that uh, something like performance max in Google or even YouTube campaigns in Google or search campaigns and Microsoft advertising, the artists formerly known as being ads, they are examples of multi-channel networks and everything's shifting in this direction. Um, that means that not only do I not get to decide the bid or which auction to enter, I don't even decide which network to mm. look for auctions on, right? So that that's a pretty dramatic shift uh, that, um, and, and we as humans, we're terrible at understanding emergent properties. So this little event has several emergent properties that are kind of important because um, what happens now is that it matters which channel the network selected for you for that specific impression. <clears throat> right. The quality of that impression, the value of this impression is different. You know, if you're on Performance Max, it runs across all of Google. Search, shopping, Gmail, display, video, you know, and it's it's everything. When you launch a conversion objective type campaign on YouTube, um, it's going to be two years this October when Google made it impossible just to buy in-stream video ads anymore. Mm. If you're using any type of, you know, uh, target CPA objective, which means like a lot of people don't understand it. They think, well, I'm going to launch a YouTube ad and just going to be this little video that, you know, annoys someone trying to get to the video they're trying to watch. <laughs> um, That's well, right. Maybe, maybe not. Like you can't actually predict if it's going to be that type of video or if it's going to be an in-feed display ad, essentially promoting the video, or if it's going to be a video placed inside the display inventory or just a pure banner. Like it could be a bunch of different things. But the marketers must um, really freak out about that because they want the control, right? I mean, they really want to be able to say, this is what I'm running. You you don't have, yeah, you don't have a control anymore. The the metaphor I use for this is, is dog training. Like I have a dog, like we, he's, he's three years now. And uh, it's been very interesting, you know, to go through the stages of training him and uh, or ignoring him for a bit and then watching him acquire bad habits and then trying to make him to unlearn the bad stuff and learn the good stuff. But it's like, um, you know, so let's say the task at hand, your goal is to avoid your dog, um, to prevent the dog from chasing a cyclist, right? which dogs for some reason like to do. Mm -hmm. You have two options. One is to have a very short leash, right? Yeah. And that's what we used to do as media buyers. We used to have this leash. We used to hold this dog real tight. Or you train them real well so that when there's no leash, he's not going to chase after the bicycle. Right. We so don't have the leash do. anymore. Yeah. They took the leash away. Mm -hmm. Well, they basically right. so forced you someone... to train, train the dog. Exactly. With, exactly. So um, the other thing I say is uh, if there's machine learning, there's got to be machine teaching, right? Mm -hmm. As media buyers, we have to become very good and strategic about uh, what kind of habits we teach the machine. It's almost like the call artificial intelligence, which is a bit of a misnomer, but also it's a good model to apply because um, you have to deal with it 
in a way that is somewhat similar to the way we deal with other types of intelligence, that being of a pet, that being of, um, I don't know, even even a human, right? So it's through through feedback loops, right? Through yep. providing positive feedback, reinforcement, like when when this puppy does the right thing, you know, if he makes a pile on your carpet in the middle of the living room, you yeah, that's not the moment when you want to give him a doggy treat, right? No. You don't, don't want to reward that behavior. <laughs> that's right. But, but as media does, bias trained, sorry, go ahead. No, does the does the does it work the same way for for doing this programmatic or this this media buying? You can actually very, very control very it. Very similar, very similar, mm-hmm. right? So so what a lot of people are discovering, they go they go they launch a performance mask campaign for the first time, and they're like, oh, I'm getting so much spam. This is this is this is all crappy leads coming in, or they try to launch something on YouTube. And maybe they used to run something on YouTube that was very tight. And, you know, they they used to holding a very short leash. Now things are running away from them. Uh, and the opt-in forms are generating a lot of fake leads and they don't understand what's, what's happening in there. Well, what's happening there is that um, y- the, the algorithm is not uh, understanding the difference between going to a display placement, a grabbing some impressions from a display placement versus grabbing them from a high, hard to win, high intent search auction. Because mm. the algorithm has the freedom to do whatever it pleases. Right. And well, why would it go to the less, track, lesser quality? Why would it go to the lesser quality spot? Because because if you apply the last century methodology, like, like let's say if we have, if one transaction is worth $2,000 and we need 10 leads to get one order, how much, what's the value of the lead? Everyone's going right. to say 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's that's a simple Homer Simpson type math. And that used to work in, you know, in, in the past, in, last, in the last century, when you do direct mail, so you just deploy a bunch of stuff, you wait for the numbers to come in, you sit down with a calculator or, I don't know, logarithmic ruler or something, and you crunch your numbers and you... <clears throat> In, in in the averages work because it's one channel, it's one medium, and you get a chance to actually step in and influence the process, the, the next iteration of, of 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 this deployment of this campaign. Here things happen in real time. So whatever happens in like in, inside this impression, inside this conversion, influences how the algorithm is going to behave behave next. Mm. So it's, it has immediate impact. So if your um, if your rewards are not set up correctly, like it's like introducing a cancer cell in, into your body, it starts to impact all the cells around it. Like it basically goes rogue, right? The whole campaign just starts to fall apart because the algorithm is like, well, you asked for it, you know, you gave yep. me a treat, you know, right. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep doing that. Um, so when you say to like this, each lead is worth two hundred dollars, the correct answer is. No, there's one lead worth two thousand dollars and nine leads worth exactly zero. Mm. The 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 math of ever looking at averages used to work, but it doesn't apply anymore in the multi-channel environment. Right. We have to predictively, you know, sift and sort through the leads. We may not be able to uh, have a deterministic answer that this lead is is going to become two thousand dollars in revenue, but but we may build a machine learning model. That will predictably say this lead is probably worth, I don't know, 
$750. And this lead is only worth 20 bucks. And that lead is totally crap. It's zero, right? Mm. And we don't want to fire a conversion event for this one at all. Right. But then, you know, when you're firing conversion event for a $750 lead, then basically you want to report it as revenue back to the machine. Right. And the machine knows that, yeah, this, this was, don't be, don't shy away from an expensive auction because this is high intent. This is a high value. This is a high value lead. We really want more of those. Keep, so keep does that mean to this does that mean you got to work these guide guide guardrails in from the very beginning? I mean, how how do you know what the guardrails are? You may not even know what they are until they come up. Well, typically you have some history, you have some CRM data. Um, you can you can glean a lot of really good information from just looking at historical data. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of funnels that we uh, audit conversion tracking isn't set correctly at all um you know things are firing when they're not supposed to fire they double fire and triple fire Oof. um or or when the correct event happens they don't fire and like this 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 conversion tracking stuff is almost always an after afterthought no no like it's not glamorous it's not pre uh but it's so much more important today than it used to be um and uh, the algorithm is, is starred for data with all this iOS 14.5 and now iOS 17 is about to come out. Like all these things make the job of the algorithm more difficult. Mm -hmm. So if we if we become lazy, like with our doggy treats and, and start dispensing them at random times and, you know, in random quantities without being strategic about them, like the algorithm has no chance to help us right right so but you do need to you do need to sort of line that all up ahead of time so it kind of generally knows what it's doing or is it self-correcting in some way um it, it is self-correcting at some point for sure like it's like mm -hmm. when you get sick you can heal right right it's, it's the same same thing so your campaign gets sick but if you start following the right diet exercising and that kind of stuff, like you get better, right? So, so, but would you say, would you say, not to go on? It's best not to acquire bad habits, right? It's always better to start from a good place, right? So, you mentioned that gener you didn't want to talk gen AI, but generative AI, how has that helped you? Has it helped you? I mean, applying any of the techniques to it, has it helped, helped you uh, do better, or yes. is it just muddling the Absolutely. waters? Okay. No, no, no. Generative AI is going to be, it's so central to everything we do today. Um, mm. It it doesn't replace humans, but it makes humans ten times more productive and effective. Yeah, it helps us do research, figure out customer sentiment. You can load a bunch of data, like uh, customer testimonials and reviews, into uh, the machine and have the machine come up with a bunch of insights, like without. Mm having a person spend hours and hours reading this stuff and missing important pieces. The machine doesn't get tired, right? It's, it's much better at processing large volumes of information and it does it much faster than a human would. Um, so we would very often um, have someone interview, call up a few customers of our clients and, and interview them. And now, like we're talking right now, you have your note taker, I have my note taker. So we will do the same thing. We'll have 
a note taker in the, inside the call, generate a transcript, and then we throw this transcript into um, an LLM and, and mine for insights, right? So research is so much easier to do and so much faster to do now, like with uh, with LLMs and generative AI. Um, copywriting, again, there's, there's a human component. Like we don't just have ChatGPT write ad copy for us, but we do have it. Um, we, we have our copywriters work with ChatGPT to generate ideas, to generate headlines, uh, you know, to interact and, and, uh, and iterate like much faster. So we're able right. to test way faster, way more things um, and find what works, find traction much faster this way. Um, we've been Would playing you... with image generators like uh, Midjourney uh, has been tremendous uh, in certain markets, certain things. I don't know, something like, um, let's say um, if you are in the uh, pest control space, mm. like the pictures of the mosquitoes we've been able to generate inside those, uh, like through mid-journey, look real scary. Oh. I'm <laughs> Super realistic, real, like right? Way more real than, than like, they crazy good. So, so do, would you say that... Uh... I'm assuming you've done testing between sort of uh, ChatGPT generated headlines and copy compared to human generated headlines and copy. And do, does the ChatGPT stuff is like heads and above or it, or is it is it a mixed bag? Not necessarily. No, yeah. no, it's a mixed bag. Still a mixed bag. I think the best application of ChatGPT is is to save you. Like thinking is an expensive, energetically speaking, it's an expensive job right you yep. consume a lot of calories thinking about this stuff that's why you know we we crave sugar like when we work hard and stuff something like that and, and like we get tired pretty fast like there's only so much time within in a day where you can be at, at at the peak of your you know mental abilities um so our performance our productivity degrades very quickly as mm. humans so what chat gpt helps us do is offload a lot of icky mechanical stuff onto the machine and then just make decisions like creative decisions and sometimes chat gpt will come up with the stuff that you never thought of like, yeah. like oh gee this this is this is an interesting angle i never thought of this like maybe we should try it but there's always a human at least for now like we always have a human um in there we don't just randomly grab stuff from ChatGPT and throw it into a campaign to test because we always there's always um like it's uh it's not just a quality control but like we always verify the facts because it's known to hallucinate and oh yeah you know bring up facts that uh may may, may, or may not be true Compliance in the big issue is a big issue for a lot of our clients across all platforms, like be it financial offers or health-related stuff. And um, yeah, so there's always a human component because someone at the end of the day has to make a decision. And right. also our clients always approve the ad copy before we launch it, if, if we're doing it for clients. So um, yeah, it's it's not replacing a human yet, at least. I, I don't know how quickly human will get replaced. Um but it's extremely helpful. Like right. our productivity is is way up, like because of generative AI. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. So it's time to think about the future. It's the year twenty thirty three, ten years from now. Where do you see yourself being? Do you think 
AI has eliminated much of your work or do you think that it's just going to continue to enhance it? Or where do you think you'll be in 10 years, your organization as well? Well, if I look at what happened or transpired in the last 10 years, which we spent a good chunk of time talking about today, um, smart bidding in Google, which is the first version of machine learning that Google introduced, I think got introduced around 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago. can't remember when exactly. Um, but that's what led to a lot of things that are happening today. They call us new products that Google is launching and uh, and the nature of our, of our job as media buyers has changed dramatically. Mm. Uh, what hasn't changed is the research component, the um, creative component, like because of that type of machine learning the, that optimizes bidding, optimizes targeting. So those are the first two things they attack. Now, now what they're um, going after is the actual creative, and that's what generative AI comes in as well. Right. This was the third dimension, right? So I'm sure the niche of our work will change in a very dramatic way in in the next 10 years. I don't know exactly what our jobs will look like, but I imagine they will be way more strategic. It will be um, more about formulating the offer in the product uh, and less about pushing buttons inside the interface. Um, we... We do like we do push a lot of buttons now, but it's a very different button pushing than the kind of button pushing we did, did a decade ago. Uh, we used to manage things in giant spreadsheets and you know micromanage every keyword and every ad group and like there was it's it's just it's very different now. Like it almost never like the old fashioned stuff still has its place. There's certain um, borderline cases where this kind of approach is still effective, but um, it's rapidly going away. Like, the, mm -hmm. like what we do now is different. Well, do you, do you foresee a, a, a point where you've actually got the very simplistic um, instructions to an AI, and then it basically generates the entire media buying campaign from start to finish? Certainly. I don't think the, yeah, we're probably not very far away from something like this. Mm. Like all the Legos, I'm almost there because then it's up to us to like, what we want to build out of them. But I think we're getting pretty close to that. But then you, you definitely need the human element in there. So otherwise, who knows what's going to come out of it? I mean, I've, plenty of times I've used ChatGPT and it's just generated total hallucination and it's said it with such conviction. You think it's absolutely right. But then, you sort of instinctively go, wait a minute, that does not seem correct. And you have to capture that that way. I mean, how does, how do you check it? How do you check against it? You just, just use intuition or how do you confirm that it's, it's not creating something hallucinatory? That's going to be very interesting because a lot of content online is rapidly becoming that generated by AI. Yeah. So if you just go and, you know, double check the facts by doing a, a normal Google search, you don't know if you can trust those results either. Exactly. So, um, that that's what they call uh, the modal collapse. Uh, when 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 LLMs are trained on LLM output and 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 hallucinations enhance themselves. Because similar similar effect to sending that conversion data to the algo that chooses auctions for you, right? Right. 
same exact thing. Like you, it's it's a it's what we call in engineering. We call it positive feedback loop. There's mm-hmm. nothing positive about it. Like a nuclear bomb is a positive feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> like the, awesome. Uh, well, this bad been... things and the hands bad things, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. I mean, uh, very interesting stuff talking to you. If somebody wants to get in touch with you. What's the best way? Best way is probably email alex at measurebit.com or Alex Makarski, M-A-K-A-R-S-K-I on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Thank you so much. I'll put all your uh, contact information in the show notes. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can go directly to you. So so thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later.